Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to 1 Samuel chapter 6, the book of 1 Samuel chapter 6. We continue our study through the Old Testament. Now, remember what's been happening here in our study in 1 Samuel, where Israel was at war and they lost. They, they were defeated in war and they took major casualties and the ark was taken by the Philistines. And so now the Philistines, they have the ark and the people continuously, in Philistine, the Philistine people, they continuously reject him as the Lord makes himself known. Remember the example we gave last week in our study where you and me, we gave the example where you and me are Philistines and the process by which we also have a choice to make in regard to the Lord, the Most High God. And it still happens today. People have a choice to make. People have a choice to make. Remember, the Lord doesn't make robots. People have a choice to make. And so here in 1 Samuel chapter 6, you know, we, we remember our study from last week in chapter 5, and the ark is with the Philistines and God is falling on them. I mean, in a bad way. It's, it's not good for the Philistines who continuously reject him. You see? I mean, in last week in chapter 5 in verse 11, you know, the people, they say, send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it go back to its own place so that it does not kill us and our people. You see, very important to understand and remember what's happening. And so understand that something happens when the Lord makes himself known. People receive him or people reject him. You see? It was the same back in the day, in the Old Testament days, in the New Testament days. Remember our study in, we're in the book of Mark. But you see like the religious leaders, but at the, at the same time, you see the religious establishment. But then you look at the woman at the well. You see, you look at Nathaniel. Remember our study just from last Sunday? It just so happens. It just so happens. And it's very interesting how in both our Wednesday and Sunday studies here, we see that the Lord is making himself known, and through it all, we see two things. We see both affliction and healing, you see? And there's something else we see. A people who knew him, past tense, and have forgotten him. Very important to understand. Nothing new under the sun. Remember, it's Brother Paul that says the things of old were written for us written for our admonition, written for our warning. The question is, who remembers? You see? And so let's begin our study here in 1 Samuel chapter 6. In 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1. Now the ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months, seven months. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners saying, what shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should send it to its place. So understand the Philistines, they have priests, they have diviners, a religious establishment according to the ways of the Philistines. I mean, even still today, every people, every culture, there is a religious establishment according to the ways of the people and the culture. I mean, for example, you know, today, just to give an example, today, there is a religious establishment in Rome. And in Rome, in Italy, a country that is predominantly Catholic, and according to Catholicism, there is a religious establishment, you see, that supposedly has wisdom. And, you know, they have, they have answers according to the ways of their religion. But according to the Bible, according to the Bible, you see, everything has to align for biblical wisdom, 
Because there's worldly wisdom. Remember, there's there's worldly wisdom. There's the ways of the world. There's the ways of certain religions. There's the ways of certain brands of theology. But everything has to align with the Word of God, with the Holy Bible, in order for there to be biblical wisdom, biblical understanding, for knowledge to be gifted by the Holy Spirit. And when it comes to Catholicism, their brand of wisdom and understanding has been placed in the balance of Scripture and found wanting. You see? Now, if you're Catholic, I love you. I don't say this to hurt you. Not at all. I mean, you know, we, if you're Catholic and you're listening, go to the website. It's called thewayunderground.com. Thewayunderground.com. And if you're presently Catholic, go check it out. And then I'll say this. Come out of her, my people. And so understand there is a religious establishment that serves to prevent people from knowing the truth. We see that in the book of Mark, and we, we're going to see that even more in our study in the book of Mark. And in all the Gospels and the book of Acts, there is a religious establishment. And it prevents people from knowing the truth. And in the case of the Philistines here in 1 Samuel chapter 6, the people, they seek out their religious establishment and they ask a question to the religious leaders, the priests, the ones who supposedly have understanding and wisdom. And they do have a brand of understanding and they do have a brand of wisdom, but it does not align with the word of God. It's according to the Philistines. And so the people ask them, the priests, what do we do with the ark? But understand, it's kind of interesting because you see that their decision is already made because they say, what do we do with the ark? But then, you know, they also say, you know, tell us how to get it out of here. You see, remember, the Lord has afflicted the Philistines. The Lord has afflicted the Philistines with no human assistance. But the Lord is doing it. You see? And there's something very common with the religious establishment. Even still today, back then in the day and in the New Testament times and even still today where the religious establishment, they tell people what they want to hear. They tell people what they want to hear. They go with the flow of culture. They go with the flow of the zeitgeist. They tickle ears and they appeal to the flesh. You see? Where is the person? Where is the messenger that says, this is the way? Where everything aligns with the truth of God's holy word. Where is such a person? Where is such a messenger? I meant, you know, even the wise of Egypt, you know, the religious establishment of Egypt, according to the ways of Egypt, they didn't acknowledge the God of Israel at first. Remember? At first, they didn't. But in the course of time, what happened with the religious leaders and the religious establishment of Egypt, they were the ones who advised Pharaoh, let them go. They said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let them go because our gods are not like their God. Notice the plurality. Our gods are not like their God. 
of the Hebrew people and the religious establishment of Egypt. They were advising Pharaoh, let them go, let them go. See, everyone's heart was hard. I mean, when you, you, you read the account, if you've been walking with us for a while, you remember. But I mean, the, you, you read the account and what happens is that everybody's heart was hard. But in the course of time, some hearts began to soften. But remember, leadership matters. Leadership matters. Because in submission to Pharaoh, who hardened his heart and ultimately God hardened his heart, it's a form of judgment. Well, not a form of judgment. It was straight up judgment. I guess a form of judgment. But, you know, in the case of Pharaoh, it was straight up judgment. And submission to Pharaoh proved deadly for Egypt. You see? I mean, well, it would have been better for the Philistine priests that the people say, what do we do? What do we do? Well, it would have been better for the Philistine priests is if the priests had repented, denied Dagon, destroyed Dagon, and then told the people, hey, everybody repent and worship the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because he's the most high. Yeah, we have Dagon, but Dagon's nothing compared to the most high, compared to the God of Israel. You see, that would have been much better. That would have been much better. And so the people in Philistine, what happened? They wanted the ark to go away. And to that end, what happened is the Philistine priests, they tell them what they want to hear, and they go along with the flow of the, pop, the populace. That's what happens. They go with the flow. They want, they're telling the people what they want to hear. Remember, they go to the priest. What do we do? Hey, priest, what do we do? What do we do? And tell us how to get this ark out of here. And so the priest, okay, let's give the people what they want. Look what the priests say here in verse 3. So they said, if you send away the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it empty, but by all means, return it to him with a trespass offering. Then you will be healed and it will be known to you why his hand is not removed from you. Now, look what we see here. In verse 3, look what we see where it sounds nice. It sounds harmless. You know, okay, we're going to send it back and, you know, make sure you do it with the trespass offering and then you'll be healed. And it sounds nice. A, a trespass offering to God? What could be the harm? What could be the harm? A trespass offering to the Lord. And so the people have a question for the religious establishment. They have a question for the priests in verse 4. Then they said, what is the trespass offering which we shall return to him? Now, if you've been walking with us for a while and you remember our study in Leviticus and Numbers, you know what the trespass offering is according to the Bible, according to the word of God, according to Torah. You see, the five books of Moses, the Pentateuch, according to the, the Torah. You know what the trespass offering is, but according to the religious establishment, according to the, the religious establishment in, in, in the, the Philistine priests who have aligned themselves with the will of the people, the priests who worship Dagon, you see, they tell the people make a trespass offering, but look how they instruct, look how they teach. Look how they guide the people on the trespass offering. We see here that they answered in verse 4, they answered five golden tumors and five golden rats according to the number of the lords of the Philistines. For the same plague was on all of you and on your lords. You see? Now picture the people here. Picture the people just soaking it all up. 
soaking it all up, the counsel of the priests who serve Dagon. They serve Dagon. They do not serve the Most High. They're in service to Dagon, a God who is fallen and destroyed before the Ark of God. Remember our study from last week? Nobody came into the temple and pushed Dagon over. Nobody came to the temple and broke his hands. Nobody came to the temple and, you know, smashed him, you know, pushed him over. Nobody did that. But yet the people wake up in the morning, the Philistine people wake up in the morning, and all this time they see the temple and everything's fine and dandy. But this one particular day, the, the, the ark of God was in there, the ark of the Most High God was in there. They walk in, and what happened to Dagon? Dagon is fallen. Dagon is fallen. You see? And so now you have the priests here in chapter 6 of 1 Samuel and picture the people just soaking it all up. Oh, what wise counsel. What wise counsel. Our priests are so holy. Wow. They speak with such eloquence. They teach us and they guide us. Oh, they're so wise. But look what their priests tell them. We see here in verse 5, therefore... You shall make images of your tumors and images of your of your rats that ravage the land, and you shall give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from you, from your gods and from your land. Understand, you know, giving glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, giving glory to him, it's absolutely a good thing. But it's very important for all of us to understand that the God of Israel gives very specific instruction on how to do so. You see, it's not with the images of tumors or rats. It's not done with tumors and rats. You see, it's not with images of anything. No images of tumors, no images of rats or angels or Mary. No images. Remember to the woman at the well? To the woman at the well. You know, we, 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 it just so happens we mentioned the woman at the well on our Sunday study. It just so happens. It just so happens. But to the woman at the well, our Lord Jesus says in John chapter 4, he says, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. That's what the Lord, that's what Jesus says to the woman at the well, that God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. You know what that means? To worship the most high, to worship him, the most high, a person needs truth. And a person needs the spirit. Very important to understand. And then you look at the landscape of church today. Where can truth be found? I mean, it's true. It's straight up. It's true that there are churches everywhere, everywhere you look. I mean, have you ever drive down a city street? You see a church on the right, a church on the left, two churches on the right, two churches on the left. Churches are everywhere. But even still, where can truth be found? You see, it's a major rarity in these last days. But then we go further. In addition to the question, where can truth be found? There's another question. Where can the spirit be found? You see, 
It's not just a major rarity in these last days. It's, it's straight up an ultra rarity. But that, my beautiful brothers and my beautiful sisters, that's the remnant. Where you find truth and where you find the spirit, that's the remnant. It's definitely not Laodicea. That's Smyrna and Philadelphia, the remnant. You see? And so with the Philistine priests, they do have a semblance of wisdom and what many perceive to be wisdom. It's like the worldly wisdom that we see today. I mean, after all, understand these Philistine priests, they do recognize the need to glorify God. And there is more that do recognize because they're advising the people. They're telling the people, but look what the priests are saying to a people who want answers and they want direction. And in verse six, we see this. Why then do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? When he did mighty things among them, did they not let the people go that they might depart? You see, the priests, the, the Philistine priests, they do have a level of understanding. But even their understanding is found wanting. Where is the priest? Where is the Philistine priest who destroys Dagon? Where is the Philistine priest who repents and gets right with the God of Israel? You see? Where is the Philistine priest who does all that to get right with the God of Israel, the Most High God, and then tells the people to rid themselves of idols, to dispense of Dagon, and worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Where is such a priest? I mean, say, for example, you go to the doctor. You go to the doctor because your wrist hurts. And, you know, they do the initial checks. The doctor, you know, does the initial checks and you say, ow, that hurts. And so they run their x-rays. And then the doctor tells you, well, you know what? You have a fractured wrist. And then the doctor t shows you the x-rays and you can see, wow, there's a pretty big fracture. But then the doctor, you know, he gives you the remedy. And he says, here, eat this cookie and the fracture will go away. You see? With this doctor, there's a certain level of understanding to reach the conclusion of, you know what, your wrist is broken or your wrist is fractured. There is a certain level of understanding to reach that point of seeing that, okay, you know, the, the, the wrist has an issue. It's been fractured. But then the next step, that's the problem. A cookie? Here, take this cookie and, you know, that your wrist is going to heal. Take this cookie and in two hours, your wrist is going to heal. A cookie? A cookie is going to fix the wrist? And, you know, kind of in, in the same vein of this example, today you have priests and teachers and elders and pastors. And people do seek counsel. And the religious establishment does have an ability to identify certain things. I mean, you know, not 100%, but, you know, there is a populace of the religious establishment where they do have an ability to identify 
problems and issues. But then what's the next step? You see? What's the next step when a person, they seek counsel and they say, Hey, priest, hey, priest, what do I do? Hey, pastor, hey, pastor, what do I do? What's the next step? Pray the rosary? Go grave soaking? Holy laughter? Ten Hail Marys? Therapy sessions? What's the next step? It's just like the doctor, you know, okay, look, we don't, you know, we're going to flip your hand a little bit. We're going to do this, roll it around and twist it. And you're going to say, okay, doctor, that hurts. Don't do that anymore because it hurts. And the doctor says, okay, now we're going to run some x-rays. So you go in and you do the x-ray. They, they do the whatever they do. And then they hold it up to the light and they see, wow, we see this fracture here. And so the doctor, you know, the doctor does have the ability to identify, okay, yes, there's a problem, but here, take this cookie. You see? That's the wrong remedy. Very important to understand. People go to their priests. Hey, priest, I got a problem, I got a problem. And the priests, you know, not all of them, but some of them can say, yeah, you know what, that is a problem. And here's the remedy. You know, pray the rosary. You see, people go to their pastor. Hey, pastor, I got a problem. And the pastor, not all of them, but some of them can identify. Yep, that's a problem. And you say, hey, pastor, what do I do? And the pastor says, hey, let's go grave soaking. Come on, I'm going to take you to the cemetery so you can lay on the gravesite and soak up the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you something. What's in the gravesite definitely ain't holy. Because the Lord is with the living. He's the God of the living. You see? Very important to understand. I'm going to say, for example, you and me, you and me, we eat the most beautiful, spectacular, stupendous bacon cheeseburger. It's delicious. Just straight up delicious. Off the charts. It's just incredible. It's so good. It's the best bacon cheeseburger we've ever had in our lives it's just hands down this is the best bacon cheeseburger we've ever had and it's delicious and then a couple weeks pass and i give you a call i say hey what do you say you and me we go get that burger again and you say okay let's go do it let's go get our burger and then we eat another one we eat another one except this time, the cook has put some arsenic in it. And so now we're going to go have a delicious bacon cheeseburger. And we eat it and it's still going to be delicious. The best bacon cheeseburger ever. It's still going to be delicious. But there's a problem. In 15 minutes, we're going to be dead. We're going to have our bellies nice and full. Wow, that was just a slamming burger. It was the best burger ever. It was just like a couple weeks ago. It's so good. Ten minutes pass. We're not feeling so hot. Thirteen minutes pass. It's like, oh my goodness, I feel weird. Fifteen minutes pass. Boom, we're dead. You see? Very important to understand. And just like in the case of the pastors and priests, 
They do have, not all of them, some of them, they do have an ability to identify. They do have a semblance of wisdom. Wisdom according to whatever doctrine. Wisdom according to the world. Wisdom according to the zeitgeist. And it's just like the doctor. Yep, we, we, we see the fracture here. Okay, doc, what do I do? Here, eat a cookie. The pastor. Yeah, you know, you got a problem. What do I do, pastor? Let's go grave soaking. The priest. Yeah, you got a problem. What do I do, priest? Don't call me priest. Call me father. Okay, what do I do, father? Pray the rosary. Ten Hail Marys. You see? Wrong formula. Wrong formula. It's just like the cook, where the first bacon cheeseburger we had, delicious, slamming. Two weeks later, wrong formula. We're dead. You know, 15 minutes later, we're dead. But it still tasted delicious. You see? It was almost exactly like the first bacon cheeseburger. But because of the wrong formula, because of the wrong ingredients, the additive was the arsenic. Now we're dead, you see? And it's very important to understand, you know, doctrine. Doctrine according to the Word of God. That's paramount. That's paramount. But even still, after that, there is a formula within you and me. You see? And the Lord is merciful. The Lord is gracious. But there still is a formula within you and me. And we have a choice to make. There is a formula for you and me. There's a formula for fellowship. And there's absolutely a formula for the pastors and the overseers. It's got to be right all around. It's got to be right all around. Always accounting for babies. Very important to understand. Always accounting for babies. Not that babies stay babies, but that babies move on to perfection so that the church can grow in maturity. You see? And so, you know, the Philistine priests here in chapter 6, the Philistine priests, they can recognize these things, certain things. But then what's the remedy? What's the fix? What's the next step? And then also, will it last? Because look what the priests say in verse 7. Now, therefore, make a new cart. Take two milk cows which have never been yoked. Now, it's very interesting what we see here in light of our Sunday study with the new cloth and the new wineskin, if you remember our study in the book of Mark. And here in handling the ark of God that has afflicted the Philistines, now we see a new cart. And we also see cows that have never been yoked. Very interesting what we start to see happen here. Again, this has the appearance of something good. And at the same time, we see acknowledgement of things of the Lord that can lead to something good. It can lead to something beautiful. 
But the way is very specific. The way is very intricate. It's easy, but it's very intricate. That meant things of the Lord absolutely lead to deeper things, more beautiful things. I meant you see like, you know, say you've been a Christian for five years or 10 years or 20 years and you've been maturing this whole time. But then you reflect back to when you, the day you became a believer, what did you know about doctrine? You see? And in the course of time, look at what has happened in the course of time where now you've been walking with the Lord for five years, 10 years, 20 years, however long it's been, you've been walking with the Lord. And there's been some bumps along the way. But look at in the course of time, look at how they were baby steps. One thing led to another, one thing led to another, one thing led to another, one thing led to another. And the whole time you've been growing, you've been maturing. And it's led to beautiful things. But I speak to the remnant in saying that. We also have examples of people who are on fire for the Lord one day. But in the course of time, they no longer walk with him. In the course of time, they blaspheme him. In the course of time, they hate him. You see? So, the things of the Lord can lead to deeper things, beautiful things. And I give you as an example in your own growth and maturity with the Lord. But then we also see examples of people who do not endure. You see? And the way is very easy. Very easy. But it's also very intricate. And so the priests here, the Philistine priests, they give their guidance. And they say to take the two milk cows which have never been yoked and hitch the, hitch the cows to the cart. And take their calves home away from them. So the cows have never been yoked. And they say, take the calves away. And then in verse 8, we see, Then take the ark of the Lord and set it on the cart. And put the articles of gold, which you are returning to him as a trespass offering in a chest by its side. So inside this chest are the images, the golden tumors and the golden rats and the chest is next to the ark on the new cart. And in verse 8, we see the priest, they say, then send it away and let it go. And in verse 9, and watch, and watch. If it goes up the road to its own territory, to Beth Shemesh, then he has done us this great evil. Look what they say in verse 9. They're saying, you know, do these things. You know, put, put the ark on the cart with the cows and then the, the chest with the golden tumors and rats. And then let it go. See what happens. Let it go. And then watch. And if it goes up the, in verse 9, if it goes up the road to its own territory, to Beth Shemesh, then he has done us this great evil. Now, notice. 
the priests here. Instead of saying, you know, instead of giving the counsel and the advisement and the direction and the instruction of, you know, hey, he is the most high, let's fall down and worship him. Instead of doing that, they're calling the work of God evil. They're calling the work of God evil. Now, it's very true that they've been on the receiving end of judgment. But understand, judgment happens for a reason. It happens when God is rejected and rejected over and over and over. Things only get worse. Remember our study in Deuteronomy 28? It's much easier to be outside the camp and boom, outside the camp and turn around and boom, right back in the camp. It's much easier. But if the Lord and his ways and his teachings are rejected and rejected and rejected and rejected continuously, bondage, straight up to Egypt, Egyptian captivity, which is death. I mean, picture that Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28. Go and listen to our study through Deuteronomy 28. The blessings for obedience and then curses for disobedience. And when you look at the disobedience side, wow, it's so much easier to be outside the camp and then, Lord, forgive me, do out everything according to what his word says in the law because that's the era of the law. Now, it's so much easier to do that and get right back in the camp so that you can be right with the Lord. But to be in Egypt again? And remember, this is spoken to a people that have been freed from Egypt. And when you look at Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 28, it's, wow, there's a possibility to be back in Egypt. You see? And I'm not advocating the law in any way, shape, or form. But remember what Paul says, our brother Paul. He says the things of old were written for our admonition. You see? Remember, you know, for, for him who's uh, 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 walking with Christ to go back into sin, it would be better not to have known the way of truth. You see? And so this culture we see among the Philistines, it's a culture that will match that of the last days where people are on the receiving end of God's judgment. And instead of just repenting and getting right with God, what the Bible prophesies is that there's a people that are going to continue to reject the narrow way. Hearts will continue to get harder and harder and harder and harder. And in that era for the last day's generation, the 70th week of Daniel, Remember, remember, remember the book of Jude. Very important. Remember the book of Jude. Remember on some, you know, to make the distinction, to make the distinction on some, to make the distinction, you know, and rescue as through fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. You see? But there will be an appearance of something right. There will be what appears to be right, not according to the Bible, 
but according to the zeitgeist and the spirit of the age, according to the, remember, the, the, the mother of harlots that is prophesied in the book of Revelation? The mother of harlots. You know what that means? This mother of harlots, it means she has babies. People just look at, you know, in singularity, the mother of harlots. But the Bible says mother of harlots, which is plural. She has daughters. You see? And then you look at, you know, writings in the Old Testament where, you know, in the early passages of the Old Testament where the formula is right and the people are right with the Lord. But then you look at the minor prophets where the Lord refers to Israel as the harlot. It's like, what happened? What happened? I mean, you look at Deuteronomy and you look at Isaiah. Uh, you, you look at how Moses, how he instructs the people, but then you look at Isaiah's writing and, oh my goodness, what happened? What happened? Because in Deuteronomy, you know, the, the law, it's a good thing. But then in Isaiah, you know, where thus saith the Lord, it's all pointless. Thus saith the Lord, the, the offerings, the sacrifices, they're meaningless. And you look at Deuteronomy, it's like, well, sacrifice and offering, that's not meaningless. But then you look at Isaiah, sacrifice and offering, pointless. It's like, whoa, what happened? Did the Lord change his mind? No, 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 no. The people changed their heart. You see, the formula became wrong. You see? And we understand as new covenant believers that Jesus, you know, he didn't come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill the law. But don't forget, he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. You see, the formula must be right. And so in the last days, in that 70th week generation, there will be absolutely an appearance of what is deemed to be right. But it's not going to be according to the Bible. It's going to be according to the zeitgeist, the spirit of the age, according to culture and the religious establishment. Mother of harlots. Very important to understand. And people, you know, people think about the beast of revelation, but which one? Don't forget there's two. There's two. The beast from the sea and the beast from the earth. Don't forget there's two. And so here in 1 Samuel chapter 6, the Philistine priests, they tell the people to load up the ark on a new cart with their golden images in a separate chest pulled by two cows that have never been yoked. And then they say, let the cows go and see what happens. Because the cows, they might go to Beth Shemesh. And if so, we'll know that God has done this great evil to us. Notice what they call evil. When the whole time that the ark has been in the camp of the Philistines, the people, they could have just, wow, Dagon, Dagon has fallen, Dagon has fallen. Let's fall to our faces. And let us worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But that doesn't happen. And so 
it would have been nice if everything stopped at the tumors, if the people had the tumors and then, okay, we worship, we, we worship the most high God. Because Dagon is nothing. Dagon is fallen. Dagon is fallen. It would have been much easier. It would have been much better for them then in that time, but also for the life to come. It would have been much better. But everybody has a choice to make. Notice what they call evil. It's true that they've been on the receiving end of affliction. But remember, affliction happens for a reason. Affliction happens for a reason. Remember our study in Deuteronomy 28. Very important because these are things that are going to play out in the last days. During that 70th week of Daniel. These are things that are going to play out. And when you look at the prophecies, it's, it, it makes a person wonder. When you look at the prophecies... It makes a person think and reflect back to Deuteronomy 28 and almost in shock because it's like, wow, even in the last days, even in the 70th week of Daniel, the Lord, he's just doing what he said he would do. He's just doing exactly what he said he would do many, many, many moons ago. In Deuteronomy 28, the Lord is just doing what he said he would. Blessings for obedience and curse for disobedience. You see? And don't forget, in Egypt, in Egypt, the, 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 the first plague in Egypt, the first plague wasn't, you know, the, the, the ocean, the, the, the sea closing up on them. That came later. That's wrath. That comes later. But then judgment in the form of plagues, it's like stepping stones where things get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And then finally, okay, the sea closes up. They make their choice, okay. You see? And then you look at events in the last days, prophecies, the 70th week of Daniel. And it's like, wow, the Lord, he's just doing what he said he would do. To a people that reject him. Remember, it's the Lord, the most high God. It's the most high God who so loves the world. That he's the one who gave his only begotten son. You see? So that everyone who believes in him shall not perish. You see? People say, oh, God is mean. God is mean. Look at what he's doing. There's judgment here. There's wrath here. In the Old Testament, there's judgment. There's wrath. Old Testament, more judgment, more wrath. New Testament, you look at Revelation, more judgment, more wrath. Oh, God is so mean. God is so mean. But don't forget, the God that people call mean, he's the one who made a way. He's the one. He's the one who sent the priests. He's the one. And when the priests became defunct, he's the one who sent the prophets. He's the one who, using his vessels, teaches the people. He's the one who, using his vessels as a 
bulwark for his standard in his way. Remember Deborah in the book of Judges? When a time period when the Lord became forgotten and everyone was doing what is right in their own eyes. And then you look at culture and you're like, wow, everything is pretty messed up. But who's this over here? Beautiful Deborah. Who's this over here? Beautiful, yeah, L. Remember the tent peg? Old Testament for my beautiful sisters in Christ. That's Old Testament rules of engagement of, of the Old Testament. Remember the tent pegs of, yeah, L. At a, at a time period where the Lord had become forgotten and everyone was doing what is right, but not according to the word. Everyone was doing what is right in their own eyes. Oh yeah, this seems right. This seems okay. This seems permissible. And the Lord became forgotten. Remember Jephthah? Jephthah's beautiful daughter. And along with Jephthah's beautiful daughter, her beautiful friends. Her beautiful friends because her, she went to be with her friends and her friends didn't say, oh, you know what, just run away. Your dad is crazy. Just run away. No, they, they were on board. Go, if you're listening for the first time, go and listen to our study to the book of Judges. Very important to understand. And so, look what these priests say in, in verse 9. They say, you know, that you know we'll know if, that God has done us this great evil. But if not, you know, if not, then we shall know that it is not his hand that struck us. It happened to us by chance. Wow. It happened to us by chance. You see, the counsel that is being given by these priests, it does have an appearance of something good. There is an acknowledgement of the Lord. I mean, if you want to call it that, because the priests are leaving the door open for doubt. You know, is it the Lord or is it coincidence? And if it's the Lord, it's evil. But if it's not the Lord, then it was all coincidence. It was all coincidence. Let's just forget the fact that, you know, it's all coincidence. Let's just forget that Dagon, you know, has never fallen before. And then the day we put the ark there, Dagon falls. Dagon is fallen. We've never had tumors like this before. But then when the ark enters the city, we get the tumors. We move the ark to another city and they've never had tumors before. And all of a sudden they get the tumors. They go to another, the ark goes to another city and they've never had tumors before. And now they have tumors and now they have not just tumors alone. It's tumors along with death. You see? Now judgment gets worse. The buildup of judgment through plagues. It happened in Egypt, it happened in Ekron, and it's going to happen in the 70th week. It's going to happen. And the priesthood says, oh, it's all coincidence. It's all just a coincidence. You see? I meant, you know, when when the water turned red, when, you know, the, the, the staff of Moses, when it was put in the water, you know, and it turned red, it would have been much easier if Egyptians, the Pharaoh and the wise council, the wise guys and the priests of Egypt, according to the gods of Egypt, it would have been much better. 
if they see the water turn red, and you know what? We worship the God of Israel. And yes, you can be free. It would have been much easier, but oh no. You think Satan's going to give up without a fight? Even the wise guys, the, the religious leaders, the religious establishment of Egypt, you know, hey, Pharaoh, look, our gods can make the water red too. Our gods can do this too. Understand that gods have power. Gods absolutely have power. I mean, we see that in Egypt. We see that with Dagon, but they're not the almighty. You look at, prophetically speaking, Gog, G-O-G, Gog, who has dominion over Magog. And you see, there is absolutely power. But it's not of the Lord. It's not the Most High. The, the gods of Egypt, yeah, they have power. But they're not almighty. They're not all-powerful. Dagon, yeah, he has an ability. But he's not the Almighty. Gog, G-O-G. Yeah, there's power there. But it's not the Almighty. Even Satan. Lucifer, Beelzebub, that serpent of old. Who, you know, li little tiny serpent in Genesis. You go to Revelation, big old dragon. He's been growing. He's beginning stronger. He's more powerful. You see? And even Satan, Lucifer, Beelzebub, that serpent of old, he has power. He absolutely has power. That remember, Michael the archangel didn't dare bring an accusation against him. Michael, the archangel, the archangel didn't dare bring against him an accusation. And that was in the days of Moses. Moses was an, you know, an older fellow at that particular time. I mean, he almost died. I mean, well, he did die, but you know, they were the dispute was over his body. But it was at a time when Moses was a very old man and he died. And Michael, the archangel, at that time in the Deuteronomy era, didn't dare bring an accusation against Satan. He said, the Lord rebuke you. You see? Then you look at Revelation. And you see, Satan's not a little serpent anymore. You see? He's been getting strong. And in the last days, Satan and the demons, they know their time is short. Where are the warriors? Where are the warriors? Understand that with the lying wonders, the deception, it's going to be super, super, super strong in the last days. It's already strong, but it's only going to get stronger. I mean, the beast from the earth, the Bible says he's going to draw fire from heaven. Now, do you know how many people are going to worship when they see Fire from heaven come down to the earth. And they're going to say, wow, you know, let's worship. We've never seen this before. Let's worship. We're worship. Let's worship. But it's not the, it's not the most high God. You see? 
evil. It's evil. The deception is going to go str- grow stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. But then you look at Pharaoh. You look at Egypt. And it would have been so much better for them if they see the water turn blood red and they say, okay, we're done. Your God is the most high. Yes, you can go take your animals. And in fact, we want to worship your God. It would have been much better. But that didn't happen. Everybody had a hard heart. Everybody had a hard heart when the water turned red. The frogs came. Everybody had a hard heart, but not everybody. You see a smaller populace, they start to like, you know, we've we've never seen the water turn red before. We've never seen frogs like this before. They're starting to question the gods of Egypt. Maybe they're not so powerful. And then the religious leaders of Egypt, even they say, look, Pharaoh, we can do it too. Look, our gods can make the water red. But then the hail came. Then the hail came. And that's when the religious leaders had a problem in Egypt. They say, whoa, our gods have power. Our gods have power. We can do the frogs. We can do the water. We can make it red. We can do this. But hail, hail, our gods cannot do the hail. But yet, the God of Israel, he can. You see? And even the wise, the wise guys of Egypt, the religious establishment of Egypt, you know, when the water turned red, everybody had a hard heart. But when then the hail came, And then the wise guys, the religious establishment of Egypt, they see the the powerless nature of the gods that they serve. They start advising Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let them go. Let them go, Pharaoh. I mean, when the water turned red, everybody was laughing. You think we're going to let you go? We're going to let your people go? Moses and Aaron, you think we're going to let you guys go? You do the water red and look, they got the wise people over here. They can do the water. Our gods can make the water red too. You think we're going to let you go? But then the hail came and everybody was telling Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let them go. Let them go. Look, our our land is being destroyed. Let them go. Look. And then the plagues, they get worse and worse and worse. And finally, death of the firstborn. And even still, and don't forget, you know, death of the firstborn, but don't forget the rules and the instruction for Passover. Don't forget a male lamb without blemish. Don't forget a male lamb without blemish. You see? And the people just pleading with Pharaoh. Pharaoh, their God is more powerful. And the whole time, look what happened. A Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened through each plague. His heart became harder. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened. I mean, the, the water turning red, Pharaoh hardened his heart. The frogs, Pharaoh hardened his heart. The hail, Pharaoh hardened his heart. But not everybody hardened their heart. Everybody had a hard heart, but at, at, at the red water, but 
With the frogs, less people had a hard heart. With the hail, less people had a hard heart. And that's what we see. It's going to happen in the last days. With plague upon plague upon plague, there will be hard hearts. But through it all, hearts will also become soft. You see? And that's when we, as the remnant, that's when we remember the words of Jude. You see? Making the distinction. Hating the garment, yes. Defiled by the flesh, yes. But rescuing as through fire. It's the rescue mission of the last days. And you have Christians today who say, oh, we don't have to worry about that because we're going to be raptured out of here. No, no, no. The rapture is not pre-tribulational. You see? And if you're listening for the first time and you're like, what? Everybody tells me the rapture is pre-trib. Everybody tells me the rapture is pre-tribulational. No, listen, they're wrong. Straight up, they're wrong. But I got these books. I see the movies, you know, the, 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 the Hollywood movies. I see this and everybody says it's pre-tribulation. That's Hollywood. That's Hollywood. It's not biblical. Go and listen to our studies on the rapture. Thewayunderground.com. Go to thewayunderground.com. Go and listen to our studies. Very important. We're living in the last days. The days are becoming more evil. And yes, the days are becoming evil, but also at the same time, evil, it's becoming more powerful, stronger and stronger. You see? And where are the fighters? Where are the warriors? See, and we fight according to the spirit, not according to the flesh, according to the spirit. And so for my sisters in Christ, you know, the tent peg days, those were over. No tent pegs. No tent pegs for my beautiful sisters in Christ. No tent pegs. You see? But according to the spirit, we fight. You see? And so the wise guys, the priests of the Philistines, they say, well, if it's of the Lord, then he's done this evil upon us. Notice what they call evil. But if it's not the Lord, it's all coincidence, you know. Dagon, he's never fallen before. It's just a coincidence that he fell. Tumors, oh, it's just a coincidence that we had the tumors. Next city, more tumors, oh, just a coincidence. More tumors, oh, just a coincidence. Death, oh, it's all just a coincidence. You see? So now remember, the two cows... Remember the, the priests, they say the two cows. Now, the two cows, they've never been yoked before. They've never been yoked before. And, you know, the, the, what the yoke is, it's like this big hardness that goes around the neck of a cow. And, you know, it attaches to like, you know, if they're, you know, if they're, if they're two cows together or two ox together, they'd have this big yoke. They'd go around their neck and they'd be harnessed to one another. Or, you know, like if they're pulling something, you know, they'd be harnessed to that, you know, but it's this big wooden harness, you know, depending on the era could be like, you know, some form of metal, but typically like back in the day, it probably would. But this big harness, it goes around the neck of the cow. It attaches to the cart. And remember... These are cows that have never, never, never been yoked. They've never felt the yoke around their neck. They've never pulled anything. These are milk cows. And this is day one of the cows having this big wooden thing around their neck. Now, I'm not a betting man, but it seems a whole lot like the priests 
really want to call everything a coincidence. It seems a whole lot like that's exactly what they want to do. Now, <clears throat> something I have to say <clears throat> is that yoke training on a cow, it begins early. It starts like when they're young calves. It starts young. And in the course of time, you know, you you you, you put the a, a yoke on a young calf, like a baby calf, not a baby calf, maybe like you wait a couple months. You put like a little tiny, like a little, like twigs around the neck so it can feel like, oh, what's this around my neck? And then in the course of time, you put a larger one on so they can feel like, okay, this is, it's not little twigs around my neck. Now it's like big around my neck. And then more time, you connect, it gets bigger and bigger in the course of time. It's yoke training. So that they can have this around their neck. I mean, you know, like in the case of a dog, you know, you, you have a dog that goes to like to the vet and then like, you know, it has a surgery. The dog has a surgery. And then, you know, after surgery, you put the cone around their neck. And it's like, you know, it's one thing if the dog is, you know, post-surgery, the dog is sleeping. But once the dog starts to come to and the dog realizes that it has this cone around its neck. Oh, forget about it because I mean, they know they've, they've never, you have like a, 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 a three-year-old dog, never had a cone on his neck. You, you know, have a, a cone around the neck of a dog. You think they're going to like it? No, they're going to run around like crazy, you know, breaking things, smashing into things. They're going to like try to pull it off. They're going to bash into walls and, you know, scratch and do all these things because they want it off their neck. They've never had this thing around their head. I mean, do the same with these cows here. They've never had this around their neck. And they're not babies. They're adults. And they, they've had their own babies. They're, their calves are, they're, they're, their little calves, are, they're taken away. And so, you know, the, what happens in yoke training is that you take the calves and you put the little twigs around their neck. Maybe not twigs, maybe like, you know, big twigs. And you put it around their neck and then they get bigger and you put bigger things around their neck. So they can feel it. They're, they're being trained. They're being accustomed. Like, okay, this is around my neck. And then they get big. And then all of a sudden, you know, have this big yoke. And then they, ha they, they attach them to another cow. So the cows start to realize. They start to learn. They're being trained how to walk with this thing around their neck. But then also they're being trained to walk, you know, in unison with the other cow, the other ox. And if they've never pulled anything, it's like, okay, now you know, let's, let's train them when they're young and let's attach this little tiny wagon to them, you know, so they can start to feel what, you know, what it's like, number one, to have this thing around their neck, but then number two, to feel like what it, what it feels like to pull something. And we're going to have this little wagon, you know, the young little calf with the twigs and pulling a little wagon and we're going to, now they're getting older, so we're going to put this, put like, you know, some, some wood on the wagon so they can feel what it's like to have this weight. You see, in the course of time, the cow starts to learn, the ox starts to learn what it feels like to pull loads, to have this thing around their neck and pull loads and to be yoked to another cow, uh, another, another uh, uh, ox. They start to learn heavier loads, heavier lo loads, but it takes time. It takes time. It's not immediate. And so... You have these two cows, never been yoked, never pulled anything. They're milk cows. And they're going to pull the ark? They're new at this. 
They've never pulled anything. They've never felt the yoke around. I mean, picture the dog. You know, the dog that's, you know, with the cone around its head. I mean, if you have a dog, put a cone around its neck. See what happens. They're not going to like it. They're going to run around like crazy. You're not going to be able to control them. They're going to be bashing into things. They want it off their neck because they've never had it. They don't like the feeling of it. They try to lay down. They can't sleep. They just, they're going to be bashing into the wall, scratching, pulling, and just get this off my head. And you're going to do that with the cows? This is the council of the priests. That's what they want to do with the, with the cows. They've never pulled anything. They've never felt the yoke around their neck. And then look at what the odds. I'm not a betting man, but look at the odds. They say if the cows just wandered, then it was all just a coincidence. You see? It was all just a coincidence if the cows just, you know, they wander off and do whatever. It's all just a coincidence. But if they go to Beth Shemesh, they say then we know it's the Lord. And not just we know it's the Lord, the God of Israel. We know that he is, he's the one who has done this evil to us. Notice what they call evil. Notice what they call. They call the work of the Lord as evil. I mean, if you ask a farmer today and you say, hey, Mr. Farmer, would you yoke two cows that have never been yoked and have them pull cargo on a cart? The farmer would laugh. No way. No way. The, the cows, they're going to fight you. The cows are going to break the yoke or tip the cart or run away. They need to be trained. And then you say, hey, Mr. Farmer, how do I do that? And you say, hey, you got to start young. Don't do it with the cow. Do it with the calf when they're little. And so now the Philistine people, hearing the counsel of their priests, they follow the counsel of their priests. And these are a people who continue to worship Dagon. Dagon. It would have been so much easier, just like the example we gave last week where you and me were in the trades business and we're in business together. It would have been so much easier, just like the example we gave where, yeah, you know, we're of the Philistine people, but in the course of time, we deny those ways. We deny the way of the Philistines. We deny Dagon and we enter the camp of Israel to worship the Most High God. It would have been so much easier, but that doesn't happen. Look at verse 10. Then the men did so. They took two milk cows, milk cows. They took two milk cows and hitched them to the cart and shut up their calves at the home. In verse 11, and they set the ark of the Lord on the cart and the chest with the gold rats and the images of their tumors. Remember, the priests, they really, really, really want it all to be a coincidence. I mean, what are the... You consider the odds. I'm not a betting man, but consider the odds. What are the chances of the cows walking straight to a specific destination? And then you consider every other course of action. They could run through the field. They could break apart. They could do all kinds of different things. But look what happens in verse 12. Then the cows headed straight for the road to Beth Shemesh. Amen. Wow. I love these cows. I love these cows. I like animals. 
But I love these cows. You see, the cows, they head straight for the road to Beth Shemesh and went along the highway, lowing as they went. In the Hebrew, it's bellowing, so they're making their cow sounds. You know, walking along the, hi- the highway, moo, moo. You know, what does, what the, you know, for, for the little ones listening, what, does, what sound does the cow make? Moo. It's so beautiful what we see. I mean, what are the chances of two milk cows? They've never been yoked. They're not babies. They're not calves. What are the chances of the milk cows not just pulling apart and breaking the yoke and tipping the cart over? Boom. They just, in verse 12, they, get, they head straight for the road to Beth Shemesh. So they get on the road. And now what are they going to do? Picture the people watching. Okay, they, they made it to the road. They didn't go... They didn't go one way. They didn't go the other way. No, they specifically headed for the road. And now that they're on the road, now what are they doing? Well, now they're going along the highway. And the whole time, the people watching, you know, seeing the cows, moo, walking off into the distance on a very specific path. They went along the highway, lowing as they went. And did not turn aside to the right hand or the left. And the lords of the Philistines went after them to the border of Beth Shemesh. Now, this is a little Philistine recon team. They want to see what happens. Are the cows going to go the entire way to Beth Shemesh? Because remember what the priest said. Remember what the priest said? Well, you know, if they go this specific way to Beth Shemesh, then we know that it's the Lord, the God of Israel. We know it's him. That he's the one who has done this evil to us. Not, you know, then we know it's him. And then we know that we have to worship him. Then we know that we got to destroy Dagon. Then we know that we got to, you know, destroy all our ways of, you know, these idols. And now we have to worship the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. No, he said, if this happens, if the cows go to Beth Shemesh, we know that, yes, it's the God of Israel, but we know that he's the one who's done this evil to us. You see, wrong formula. It has a, the semblance of something that appears to be good because it's like, wow, you know, they, they want to make the, 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 the trespass offering. You see, very important to understand. It's like, wow, it seems like it seems like it's good counsel. Just like the doctor with the cookie. Oh, you got a, a broken wrist? You got a fractured wrist? Okay, doc, what do I do? Well, eat this cookie. In two minutes, you'll be fine. Clean as a whistle. You see? Good to go. You know, everything, wrist's fine. Just eat this cookie. It's foolishness. You see? Hey, pastor, I got a problem. I got a problem. The pastor says, yeah, you do got a problem. What do I do, Pastor? What do I do, Pastor? Okay, let's go grave soaking. Let's go lay on the grave so you can soak up the Holy Spirit. Hey, priest, I got a problem. Don't call me priest, call me father. Okay, father, I got a problem. I got a problem. Yeah, you got a problem. What do I do, Father? What do I do? Hey, pray the rosary. 20 Hail Marys. You see? There is a wisdom according to the ways of the world. There is a wisdom according to the religious establishment. There is a wisdom according to the spirit of the age. There is a wisdom according to the zeitgeist. 
all of those forms and brands of wisdom and even the wisdom of the religious establishment. It doesn't line up to the word of God. Wisdom that comes from the word of God. Genesis to Revelation. And everything in between, everything in between. The formula must be right. You see? And so, look what happened. So, this is what's happened among the Philistine people. And so now, let's enter another city. And join with the Hebrew people now of Beth Shemesh. And so look at verse 13. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley. And they lifted their eyes and saw the ark and rejoiced to see it. Now picture what's happening here. Picture what's happening here. Where, let's say for example, you and me, we're not just observers here studying 1 Samuel chapter 6. Let's say you and me, let's get in my time machine. And you and me were in the field, that big field, you and me. Say it's you and me, we're in this field. And we're sad. We're sad because we've lost the war. The ark has been taken. And some of our friends and family, they died in that war. But this day isn't like other days. There we are working the field. And we look up and we see the cows. We see the cows. We see the cart. And there we see the ark of our God. Now remember, there wasn't a team of guys to go get it. There wasn't, you know, we didn't say, okay, hey, let's, you know, as, a, as the Hebrew people in Beth Shemesh, let's assemble our warriors and let's go to Ekron, let's attack and let's get the ark back. That didn't happen. On this day, coming down the road, no people, just two cows, no people. Unbeknownst to us, these two cows have never been yoked. We just don't know that. But yet these two cows, here they are, walking down the road. Never been yoked, and here they are, pulling the ark to Beth Shemesh. And in the Hebrew, Beth Shemesh, it's house that shines like the sun. House that shines like the sun. Remember several chapters back, before the war, where we see Ichabod? Ichabod, no glory. The glory has left. Then the ark was taken. Now look, the ark has returned. By no human hands. We didn't send our warriors. We didn't say, hey, you know, go and fight and, you know, attack the Philistines and then bring the ark back. And no, by no human hands, no human feet even, no human effort. And the ark is returning. And then we see in verse 14. Then the cart came into the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh and stood there. <laughs> the cow stopped. I love these cows so much. The cow stopped. In verse 14. A large stone was there. 
So they split the wood of the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. Offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. So at this large stone, the Hebrew people used the wood of the cart as firewood and they sacrificed the cows. It's a burnt offering. A burnt offering. Now, for my Jewish friends, for my Jewish friends who are listening, especially the rabbis, I will say this. As the ark comes to Beth Shemesh, post Ichabod, we see no human hands, two female cows, no lamb, no lamb. There's a new wooden cart constructed by Gentiles, and the ark is on wood. The ark is on wood. The ark is on wood. No male lamb. And I'll say something else to my rabbi friends. And it only echoes the words of Abraham. That God will provide for himself the lamb. And I say this specifically to my Jewish friends and in that group. Especially the rabbis. Going back to our study here in 1 Samuel chapter 6, we see certain things happen because, you know, we're dealing with the ark. And so in dealing with the ark, now we see the priesthood is active here. And in verse 15, the Levites, the Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the chest that was with it, in which were the articles of gold and put them on the large stone. Then the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and made sacrifices the same day to the Lord. So when the five lords of the Philistines had seen it, they returned to Ekron the same day. So remember the Philistine recon team from verse 12? They wanted to see, well, are, are these cows going to go the whole way to Beth Shemesh? Or is it, is it just a coincidence that they went, you know, you know, one mile down the road and at the, at the mile one marker, now they're going to go off into the field. Now they're going to go off into the forest. Now they're going to go off into the desert. Now they're going to go off to wherever. Now they're going to go drink some water. Now they're going to break apart. They're going to fight and pull away and break the yoke. And so this recon team, the, the five lords of the Philistines, what they did is they, wa they wanted to make sure, are these cows, where are these cows going to go? And then they returned to the Philistine people. They returned to Ekron. And they report back everything that they saw. So they go to Ekron. But let's stay in Beth Shemesh. Let's stay here. And let's see what's happening. Remember that the chest that was, you know, uh, uh, beside the ark. The chest that had the golden images. In verse 17, these are the golden tumors which the Philistines returned as a trespass offering to the Lord. One for Ashdot, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, one for Gath, and one for Ekron. And the golden rats in verse 18, according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines belonging to the five lords, both fortified cities and country villages, even as far as the large stone of Abel on which they set the ark of the Lord, which stone remains to this day in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. Now, for my rabbi friends, 
Remember, there's no male lamb. There's no male lamb. And from both Jew and Gentile, we see trespass offering and burnt offering. Again, remember, no human hands brought the ark to Beth Shemesh. And this is post Ichabod. You see? Very important to see, especially for my rabbi friends, whom I love. And now we see something else of both Jew and Gentile. Wrong formula. Wrong formula. Now remember, we're in the judges' era when the Lord has become forgotten. And everyone is doing what they deem to be right in their own eyes. And yes, we have judges. And it's very beautiful to see them and others stand firmly in the Lord. Male, female, young, and old. I mean, remember Jephthah's daughter? Now, remember older Boaz? Through this, I mean, remember, they're not priests. And yet we see them honor the Lord. I mean, in the, in, the, in the judges' era, who do we see that are like bulwarks in the Lord? You see Deborah, Ehud, Yael, Jephthah, his daughter. You see? In the judges' era, we also see Boaz, Ruth. You see? We see them honor the Lord. But then also in the judges' era, we see Eli, the priest. And he was a judge too. And in him, the formula became wrong. God became forgotten. You see? And he was priest. He was doing the duties of priest. You see? Wrong formula. Yeah, he played the part. He had the garb. He had the academia. He had the training. He had the know-how. But he didn't have the heart. You see? And when God becomes forgotten, when God becomes forgotten, it is impossible for the formula to be right. You see? Remember, we serve a God of order. And we serve a God of order and he's not mocked. And he never changes. Look what happens here in verse 19. Then he, speaking of the Lord, then he struck the men of Beth Shemesh. Now you wonder, it's like, well, what's happening? I thought it was a good thing that the ark is returning. And yes, it is a good thing. But we see here in verse 19 that he struck the men of Beth Shemesh. So what's happening? We see that he struck the men of Beth Shemesh because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. You see, wrong formula. Again, how can the formula be right when God is forgotten? You see, something very holy treated irreverently. And a person could say, you know, a person could absolutely say, well, they didn't know. Well, that's a big problem. 
That's a big problem. Why do you think the Lord says, my people perish for lack of knowledge? You see? Lack of knowledge and understanding was a problem then, and it's still a problem today. Remember when Moses killed? When Moses killed, well, he got to live because the law had not yet been given. But then when Moses didn't circumcise, he almost died. He almost died because that law had been given to Abraham. You see, and that's where we see the intercession of Zipporah. Beautiful, beautiful Zipporah. I'm so in love with her. But Moses was raised Egyptian, one might say. True. But when called of God, Moses knew that he was Hebrew. You see, not knowing is a big deal. Not knowing is a huge deal. I mean, it's one thing for a person to know the Lord or know of the Lord and reject Him. It's one thing. It's sad because they are the ones who make their choice. And it's sad. It breaks my heart. But at least they're making the choice for themselves. And I hate to say that. I hate to, I hate to say it like that because it hurts. It's painful. And it's painful because, you know, not having experienced weeping and gnashing of teeth. And even still, they know not what they do. It's sad. It hurts. But when a person rejects the Lord, when a person knows the Lord or knows of the Lord and they reject him, at least they're making their choice. At least they're presented with truth and they make the choice for themselves. And I'm not, I don't want to paint that as like a good thing. I mean, there is, you know, being presented with truth, that's a good thing. And you want a person to respond to truth in repentance, to believe in Jesus Christ. But when they're presented with truth and they reject the Lord, or if they're in truth and then reject the Lord. At least they're making the choice for themselves. And I don't like saying that. It hurts. It's very painful. Because the ramifications of that are painful to even fathom for them. But... What happens when a person is presented with a lie? And a person still rejects the Lord, but it's based on the lie that they were presented with. You see, in both cases, in both cases, a person rejects the Lord. But the reason why a person rejects the Lord is based on another based on the messenger. You see? It's based on the messenger. When Paul tells Titus, he says, their mouths must be stopped. 
He's not telling Titus, he's not giving license to Titus to go and beat up the false teachers. No, that would be disobedience to the truth. He tells Titus to simply go into town and speak. So picture the town. With all the messengers of what is claimed to be the truth. And many people yield to what is false. But it's only the remnant that yields to the messengers in whom is found truth. Only the remnant. So when Paul says their mouths must be stopped, he's not saying it with carnal motivation. I mean, he's not saying that so that he can be the only game in town so that, hey, Titus, you know, we're going to take over this town. Hey, Titus, we got to be the only game in town. Paul's not trying to sell books and be on the New York Times bestseller list. Not at all. That's carnal. But he wants truth to be presented. He wants truth to be presented so that people can make a choice based on the truth of God's holy word. You see, I mean, when Paul entered a town, he went straight to the hornet's nest. He went to synagogue. And you see Paul in his early ministry, you know, he would enter synagogue and, you know, the priesthood, they didn't want to kill him then. They wanted to kill him later because Paul became deadly. I mean, he was skilled at first. I mean, at first, you know, he, remember, he didn't go to the, he didn't uh, confer with the flesh. He went to the Lord. A Pharisee of Pharisees, he went to the Lord. He didn't confer with flesh and blood. When he reveals what he did at the, after the Damascus road, when he had the Damascus road and he was blinded and he sees Ananias. Well, after that encounter, he didn't confer with flesh and blood. No, he goes to the Lord. And he grows, he matures. And then he goes into synagogue. And he would straight up prove from the scrolls, from Torah and the prophets, from the Old Testament, he would prove that Jesus is the Messiah. He would prove it using those ancient texts. He would prove that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, you picture Paul when he's like, you know, like, wow, he's, I mean, you put yourself in the religious leaders, you know, sandals. It's like, okay, this Paul, he's making a convincing argument. And then you see people like they start to follow Paul. And then all of a sudden they follow Paul and they start to repent and they start to receive Jesus Christ. And it's like, okay, no. Paul's not just, you know, a threat to this synagogue. Now Paul's a, a threat to our livelihood. And so, remember, when Paul's persecution, it was like, okay, let's beat him up. Let's stone him. But then it got to the point, okay, let's kill him. When Paul grew, he matured, he became deadly, and it's like, okay, let's kill him now. Because he would prove that Jesus is the Messiah. Using those texts, using those scrolls, he would prove from Torah, he would prove from the prophets that Jesus is the Messiah. And people were accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior. You see, he became deadly. The good deadly, not the bad deadly, the good deadly. And the religious establishment, the, the, the religious leaders, they say, okay, in the case of Paul, 
Let's beat him. Okay, that's not working. Okay, let's stone him. Okay, that's not working. Okay, let's kill him. You see? Remember when everybody's saying, hey, Paul, don't go in our study in the book of Acts. If you've been walking with us for a while, everybody's saying, hey, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. Where do you see the red letters? Where there's spirit, the Holy Spirit telling Paul, hey, go to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, where do you see the red letters? With Paul. You see? Very important to understand. If you're a baby in Christ, the Lord can call you. He's not going to call you to the hornet's nest. It's not to say that he won't call you to the hornet's nest. But as you grow, as you mature, your calling as a baby in Christ, it's going to change. You're a baby in Christ and you might be called to one area and then you grow, you mature, and then you're called to another area and then you become deadly, the good deadly. And then you're called to another area to serve the Lord in the capacity, not that you like, in the capacity that he wants. You see? And so Paul, when he writes to Titus and says their mouths must be stopped, he doesn't want to be on the New York Times bestseller list. He doesn't say, hey, the, you know, their mouths must be stopped so that, hey, Titus, we're going to be the only game in town. No, Paul wants the truth to be presented. The truth to be presented. Because when the messengers who Paul knows are the false teachers and the false prophets, and Paul knows because in him the formula is right, and he's, he's not just mature, he's deadly, the good deadly. Remember when he's writing to the saints in Galatia, he says, yeah, you know, the, the guys who you accept, the guys who you, you know, you, you put up with, the guys who you, who you brought in and are teaching you to abandon Jesus, those guys, I don't care. Makes no difference to me. Let me hear what they say. And in five minutes, boom, I'll tell you, hey, they're false. And he doesn't say that boastfully. He doesn't say that pridefully. Remember to the elders of Ephesus at the Miletus meeting, he says, I know this, that after my departure, the ravenous wolves will come in and even some of you guys will become wolves. And Paul doesn't say after my departure because I'm so cool, I'm so awesome, and oh, look at me, I'm, you know, such a stud because when I leave, oh yeah, it's all, it's, everything's going to turn into a big mess. No, he's, he's not boasting. But he knows his stuff. And so when Paul went into town, he presented truth and people made a choice. See, when Paul presents the gospel, when Peter presents the gospel, when James presents the gospel, when John presents the gospel, it's truth because the formula is right. It's truth. And so for people to accept or people to deny what those messengers bring, Paul, Peter, James, John, Dr. Luke, Matthew. When people accept or deny their message and what they bring, it's truth, it's based on truth. But when Himenaeus comes into town, 
when Alexander comes into town, when the false teachers come into town, and they present something that isn't truth at all, when they present something that's a straight-up lie, and people make a decision based on the lie, they're making a decision based on something that's not even the truth. And that's why we said, I know it sounded kind of weird, like what, you know, that, you know, you know, if somebody denies the Lord, you know, at least, you know, that, that to, to make it sound like it's a good thing, somebody to deny the Lord, like, is that a good thing? Is this guy trying to make it sound like it's a good thing? No, when somebody rejects the Lord, that is a devastating thing. It hurts. It pains me. But when they're presented with the truth, at least they were presented with the truth. And they made a decision based on the truth. But when the false teacher, when the false teacher presents a lie and people make a choice based on a lie, you see, That's why Paul says to Titus, hey, their mouths must be stopped. Their mouths must be stopped. And he doesn't say, hey, Titus, go into town and beat them up so that they can't talk, you know, break their jaws. He doesn't say that. He says, Titus, go into town and just speak. Just speak. Because the remnant will know. Only the remnant. You know what really hurts? I mean, it hurts. It hurts bad. You know, I have these conversations with like non-believers and atheists. And you know, these conversations, you know, you know, when you hear me speak of these conversations, it's, it's probably like, you know, it's not like the first conversation. It's like, you know, like five conversations later, sometimes 10 conversations later. But when these conversations start, it's usually heated. It's usually very heated on their end. It's usually very heated, you know, a lot of curse words sometimes. Oh, you expletive this, you expletive that. I hate expletive Christians. I hate you expletive, you know, believers in Jesus. And I hate this. And That hurts to hear them speak like that. It hurts. But what really hurts? We continue talking. You know what really hurts? When people tell me, you know, the non-believers, the atheists, when they tell me, I've never heard it like that before. And it hurts. It, it tears my heart to shreds. It hurts. You know why? Because people reject Jesus based on the knowledge they have, based on what was presented to them. And the whole time, the knowledge that they have it's a lie. And they're making these life decisions. They're making these eternal decisions based on what they see on, you know, what they call Christian broadcasting, Christian TV. They're basing these decisions, you know, on what they hear on Christian radio. 
And if the formula isn't right in doctrine, in what they hear, they're making these decisions, eternal decisions in this life. Not factoring in the life to come, but they're making these eternal decisions based on what they see on Tricking Believers Nightly, TBN, Christian TV. Based on what they hear on the radio. Based on doctrine that does not align with the truth of God's holy word. And they're making these eternal decisions. Oh, I hate Christians. I hate Christianity. I hate this. Get out of my face. And you know, we, we continue to talk and talk and talk. Why do you think this way? Because, you know, I had, you know, I used to go to church and, you know, I have a problem in the area of obedience and I was kind of, you know, a little ruffian as a teenager and I go and talk to the pastor and he tells me that I'm predestined for hell because of my wickedness. He tells me I'm predestined to hell that, you know, before I was born, God preordained me to burn in hell. And I reject that. And because I reject that notion, I reject Jesus. I reject you Christians. Get out of my face. But then to have these conversations and say, listen, I reject that guy too. And then the non-believer, the atheist even, the atheist is kind of shocked. Like what? Like, I reject that guy and you're a Christian and you tell me that you reject that guy too? Why is that? And then we start to have the real conversation. You know, all the previous conversations were the ones that, you know, the Lord by his grace and by his mercy got us to this point where we can really, you know, get into the the nitty gritty. We can really get into the nuts and bolts. We can really get into the meat and potatoes of an eternal decision. And for these atheists, non-believers, homosexuals, lesbians. And then they tell me, I've never heard it like that before. You know, I, I was 16 years old, they tell me. I was 16 years old and the, the guy told me that I'm predestined for hell. And the guy told me I have no hope. And so I reject Jesus. I hate Christians. I hate Christianity. I hate Jesus. And you know, we're like four conversations deep, five or six, seven conversations deep. And the eighth conversation, we get into the meat and potatoes. <laughs> to talk with a lesbian, like, like in tears. And the lesbian, <laughs> I've never heard that. And you know what kills me the most? It's to talk to the kids who are molested. Yet this big behemoth, you know, 38 years old, 42 years old, and a big behemoth of a guy. He's giant. He's huge. And we're like four conversations deep. The first conversation, you know, he didn't like me. In the first conversation... I hate Christians. I hate Jesus. I hate Christianity. Get out of my face. He's a big behemoth. Get out of my face before I snap you in two. 
it's like, you know, he's like flat out, like, you know, I'm an atheist. I'm an atheist. Get out of my face. You know, I'm going to snap you in two. But then to keep pressing. <laughs> and then we're four or five conversations deep. And you have this big behemoth of a guy, arms the size of a tree trunk. And he starts to weep like a little baby. He starts to cry. And it's like the convulsing crying. And he says, I hate Christianity. I hate Christians. I hate Jesus. Because I was in church. And when I was a kid, the youth pastor, he touched me. He molested me. He did all these things to me. And said that if I ever told my parents, if I ever told anyone, that I would burn in hell. And I didn't want to burn in hell, so I told nobody. And you have a seven-year-old being molested, an eight-year-old being raped. He turns nine, being raped. Ten, turn, being raped. And all the time the parents, hey, you know, let's go to church. Hey, kids, get in the car, let's go to church. And the parents don't know. They're taking their kid to the wolf. And you have this big behemoth of a guy. And he's crying uncontrollably like a little child. I hate Jesus, he tells me. I hate Christians. I hate Christianity. I hate you. And it's like, why? Why did these things happen? If you tell me God is so good, why did these things happen? And to have these conversations, beautiful conversations, beautiful, lovely conversations. And a person says, I've never heard it like that before. I've never heard it like that before. And meanwhile, they went to church. Meanwhile, they were exposed to pastors. They were exposed to teachers. They were exposed to something that they thought was right. But the whole time, what's been presented to them was a lie. Wrong formula. I mean, you hear us say it all the time, you know, wrong formula, wrong formula, wrong formula. But it's not just like a, you know, a, 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 a little statement like, you know, wrong formula. There's that too. But I meant there's major implications to the wrong formula. Major implications. I meant, you know, in this life, yes. I mean, we, to talk with a lesbian who's crying like an adult lesbian who's in tears like she's 12 years old. Never heard it like that before, she tells me. To talk with atheists who hate what they perceive to be Jesus. And in the course of time, I've never heard it like that before. The adult behemoth. Get out of my face or I'm going to snap you in two. And in the course of time, I've never heard it like that before. And I pray for their day of visitation so that they can repent and receive Jesus Christ. 
And so when you hear us say, you know, like a person rejects Jesus Christ, like at least they were presented with the truth. You might think like, wow, that sounds weird. Like he's, he's trying to say like a person rejects Jesus and that's a good thing. No, it's a terrible thing. It's a bad thing. But even still, at least they made a decision based on the right formula. And even still at that point, they make their decision based on the right formula. But at the same time, it's kind of... Uh, a half decision because no one's experienced weeping and gnashing of teeth on this side of life. You see? But by then it's too late. By then it's too late. So you hear us say, you know, the formula has to be right. Sometimes people get tired. Oh, the formula, formula. You talk about formula, formula. Okay, come on, let's get on with the story here. Formula, formula. Let's get on with the story. There's major implications to the formula being wrong. And so when Paul says, you know, their mouths must be stopped, he doesn't say, Titus, go into town and beat them up. He says, go into town and speak. Present the truth. Because in that town, you're going to have what is false and you're going to have what is true. And you know what, Titus? The only ones who will yield to the truth, it's the remnant. It was true then and it's still true today. As the Bible says, it remains true today. My people perish for lack of knowledge. My people perish for lack of knowledge. But it is also written, Come out of her, my people. Come out of her, my people. And if that's you, you're listening. And you're just like straight up done. You're just done done with the status quo of how you've conducted life from whatever belief system and whatever lifestyle you say oh but i'm a homosexual i don't care you say oh but i'm lesbian i don't care you say hey but i do my heterosexual sin but i do my alcohol i do my ouija boards i don't care if you're listening and you're just done with the status quo of life there is a better way. It's easy, very easy. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. But it's very intricate. Very, very intricate. And if you're listening and you're done with the status quo and you want to walk in this better way, hit pause. And listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you commit your life to Christ right here, right now, point blank. You commit your life to Christ. Listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you come back and you listen. And then we continue along in our journey together, you and me. You and me going to paradise. That's where we're going. Straight up. That's where we're going. It's easy. But it's very intricate. It's a narrow path. And so the people in our study here in 1 Samuel chapter 6, to the people of Beth Shemesh, 
who did not understand formula. Look what happens when they treat something very holy, the ark, with irreverence. What happened in verse 19? They looked into the ark. Look what happens. He struck 50,000, the Lord, he struck 50,070 men of the people. And the people lamented because the Lord had struck the people with a great slaughter. You say, wait a minute. The ark was just in Ekron. Why didn't we see slaughter then? Number one, we did. I mean, it started with the tumors and it increased to death over the course of time. You say, well, wait a second. How come we don't see tumors in Beth Shemesh? Because listen, to whom is given, much more is required. To whom is given, much more is required. It's the same exact way, like with a two-year-old and a 16-year-old child. A parent loves them. You know, you have a parent has a two-year-old and a 16-year-old, and the parent loves them. But they're treated differently because the 16-year-old has 14 more years of learning than the younger sibling. 14 more years of understanding the nature of the parent. And because the 16-year-old has received more, much more is required. They're both loved. The 2-year-old and the 16-year-old, they're both loved. But there's different treatment based on what's been given. And for the 16-year-old, you know, when when the 16-year-old was 2, The 16-year-old at age two was also treated with the leniencies allotted to age two. And as the word says, to whom is given, much more is required. And in verse 20, and the men of Beth Shemesh said, who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? And to whom shall it go up from us. Now, it's a stern thing what we see happening. I mean, it's to be on the receiving end of judgment like this. It's very stern, very heavy. But look what the people are starting to realize in asking the question, who is able to stand before the Lord? You see? And so in verse 21, so they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kirjath-Jerim saying, the Philistines have brought back the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up with you. So now what happens is they pass things off to another town. But you know what's sad? Is that they say the Philistines brought back the ark. The Philistines brought it back. But that's not what happened. The two cows did. Remember? It was the two cows. Never been yoked. And they didn't frolic off into the wilderness. They didn't go and, you know, pull apart and break the yoke and the ark, the ark fell on the ground. You know, the, the cart tipped over. That didn't happen. They walked along in their journey on this very specific path and they were mooing the whole time you know for the little ones in christ my little brothers my little sisters i love you very much what sound does the cow make moo 
Ooh. And that's what they were doing, walking all the way to Beth Shemesh. And the Philistine recon team, they see it, and they're like, oh my goodness, the priests aren't going to like this. You see? The two cows, no human hands, no human feet, no human effort. And yet the ark enters Beth Shemesh. You see? And the very first time that the cows, they, they're harnessed. They're harnessed together. They're pulling the ark and they return the ark to Israel. Remember Ichabod? Remember Ichabod? Glory left and now glory returns. But who can discern? Who can discern? Remember our study in Mark chapter 1 and the dove? Who can discern? And even still today, when glory is revealed, who can discern? You see, nothing new under the sun. To the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days, God bless you. I love you.